you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. And today, as my guest, I have Jack Story. Now, Jack Story, I met uh, recently as a result of some work that I am doing. And I was impressed not only by his history to here, um, but actually about his, more importantly, about his approach to leadership, to life, and the lessons that he every day is teaching the people around us. Jack is a chief technologist in the public sector of DXC Technology and he's got over 27 years of working in the outsourcing and service provider industry. He provides thought leadership on the appropriate application of technologies balanced with the advancement of technology innovation. But his story is so much more than tech and DXC. Um, He's also served as the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer for a mid-tier company, um, focused on data center hosted IT services, and he served in the USAF uh, flying F-45, F-45, for G wild weasels. Is that what we call them? Gosh, I missed that bit. He was a tactical air command instructor of the year in 1988. He serves on the board of directors uh, for a data center focused advisory company. He holds a master of science in information systems and a bachelor of science in biology. He currently lives here in Australia, but shortly he is about to make another move and he and his wife are proud parents of four grown up children. So he's, he's lived quite a, quite an exciting life, haven't you, Jack? It's wonderful to have you here. Well, thank you very much, and it's not over yet. <laughs> no, it's a long way to go. So before we get on to what you are doing currently, um, where did it all start? What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, what did I want to be when I grew up? Mm. So uh, it depended upon the day of the week. And, and I say that tongue-in-cheek. I actually wanted to be a, a cowboy and a Texas Ranger, and that's um, uh, my dad was in the military. I was born, uh, the only family member in my family that was born in Texas, lived there all of one month before they took us to Puerto Rico. But because of that, at the time, when I was growing up, I found out that um, only uh, people that had been born in Texas could be considered for Texas Ranger. That's long since changed. But I was so proud of that. I've got six brothers and sisters, and I would tell them I'm the only one that could be that. But from what I really want to do is about exploring and being a tinkerer. And uh, through my childhood, it was um, how does that work? Why does that work? Uh, How can I make that different? Um, And uh, if my father were sitting here, he'd tell you some interesting stories, everything from trying to get him to uh, purchase a a wing tank which comes off of an airplane so that I could make a submarine to me building a plywood uh, car out in the backyard to doing radio controlled airplanes all kinds of stuff and photography and then all of those things lend into what did I want to be when I grew up which was really about um, whatever suits for the day if that if you will and looking back now over the various things that you have done in your career. Um, can you see a link to that early childhood dream of exploring and tinkering to the work that you're doing now? Yes, and I wouldn't have said that a decade ago, 
but um, today reflecting back, and this is part of some of the, the things I've done recently, one of the ones that you saw, about looking back at how did I arrive where I am? Uh, there is a common thread through everything that I did, and it's about the sciences, it's about the outcomes, it's about the technology around it. And um, everything I was doing as a, as a child, understanding um, you know, the flight and what was going on, what interests me about radio-controlled airplanes was the outcome and why it was able to do things it could, and I actually had uh, more failures uh, <laughs> flying radio-controlled airplanes than I did successes. But through what I did in college, where I was a biology major focused on pre-med, but I was more interested in the programming that I did for um, the work that I was doing around my biology studies. Getting into the military, um, it wasn't about the flying. While the flying was great, it was outstanding, couldn't believe they paid me to go do that. It was really around the electronics and the electronic warfare that, that uh, I was doing all the way into the things I'm doing today for the past 20, 27, 28 years. Um, it, every bit of that has been centered around the sciences, the technology, striving for what's next, and then focusing on the outcomes. Mm. Now, when I heard you speak, you were sharing some of your life lessons, um, one of which was a story that you shared of your time in the military. Can mm -hmm. you share that for our listeners? Um, I think you're referring to the time that uh, I had an airplane try yes. to kill me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we were... It, it was um, one of those moments where uh, it, there's no panic in the moment There's because you're, you're doing what you're trained to do. But we were, uh, I was an instructor sitting in the back seat of an F-4G, had a student pilot in the front on our wing. We had a student and instructor in the other airplane. Uh, at the point in time where the incident occurred, we had um, the lead of the, the flight because we were trying to teach the student a couple of different things. And it was a a low-altitude flight, checking out the, the ability of the individuals to um, still maintain and fly the airplane with confidence at 300 feet, which sounds high, but when you're going that fast, it's not very high. And um, in that, we had a flight control malfunction that caused the airplane to um, do some uh, unexpected things, shall we say. It rolled over on its back at 300 feet, which is not what you want. Um, and that was 11 minutes from the time that, that I keyed the mic to call a knock it off, which tells everybody, stop what you're doing, let's get away from the ground and go sort things out, to the time we actually put it on the ground. And it took that 11 minutes, um, felt like an eternity, uh, but not an eternity of just sitting and waiting. We were constant, in constant motion as we went. And um, uh, there were a lot of lessons that came out of that. Um, both for both of us in the front and the back seat as well as for our wingmen, um, such as discarding irrelevant information, which there was a lot of that going on in that brief 11 minutes, um, and also keeping focused on the task and recognizing when uh, you actually get saturated. Um, there's a point in time where, where uh, and I think we feel this in day-to-day -day, uh, activities, where we, we realize that um, we should realize and recognize that uh, hey, I've got to take a breath for just a second, go back and refocus on what's, and reprioritize. Um, so that was, a, that was a, a, a significant emotional event mm -hmm. and um, uh, one that I will remember um, through the rest of my life and I've learned so many lessons toward. And, and I, I enjoy sharing that story to 
I, in the past, it was close friends, and ended up being one of them that that said, "Oh, you've got to share this much more broadly." And uh, uh, I, my question was, "Why?" And it was centered on what you just said, which is there's so many different lessons out of that that I think have relevance for other people. There was a particular uh, lesson that you shared the day I heard you speak, which related to the fact that post the event. Um, there had to be an investigation and for a, a period of time um, um, almost like an inference that it was your responsibility or the team's responsibility and I remember you talking through that whole experience. Can you share a little bit of that? Um, yeah, certainly. Yes. I, I, sorry, I was reflective for just mm. a moment. The I'd forgotten I'd shared that. Um, it it's always a challenge when you're called up publicly. And there was a very public meeting, very public setting, where second guessing was going on. And, and uh, in that second guessing, and this was within hours of the event, well, this is what they should have done. And um, of course, you know, as time plays out, you, you get the, uh, uh, well, you have, you might have been, and I'm gonna be harsh, vilified initially, you, you eventually get the, the cleared of that and everything else but it was um uh i i can't even describe the emotions that come with it because you you sit there and you look and go my intent was was focused flat out on making sure that that you know all the right things were done and uh um it wasn't until the aircraft had been uh Dismantled and part of it where they where the problem was um, because it, it's a grounding event. The airplane's on the ground for the re for until they figure out why. Uh, and when they figured out what had happened, it, there was nothing that we could have done. As a matter of fact, the decision tree, which part of a post incident review, was going through the decision tree. Um, well, at this point, you could have decided one of three these possible outcomes. And our decision tree, whether it was uh, fortuitous, uh, you know, pure luck, or, or it was experience, or a combination of both, um, we made where we had uh, two choices. We consistently made the right choice. Had we made the other one, it would not have been a good day. Uh, as a matter of fact, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you on one of the earlier um, activities. Um, and uh, for for. I think the lesson that I learned as being a leader out of that, not I think, I know the lesson I learned out of that is be very slow to judge before you understand everything there is to understand. And in that mindset, which is a corporate mindset even of today, uh, there was um, a desire to have a quick reaction uh, always by the leadership. It's one of those, well, we've got to make a snap call on this and, and get out there ahead of this. And um, I think that's a, it's actually a mistake. We, we, can do more harm and damage. And, and in that event, that, that was overcome. But if you think about some of the things that have hit the press, and there's some activities that I know you're aware of that were definitely newsworthy that, that um, I've been a part of uh, here recently, the, the SNAP leadership decisions were, especially where they go out and make broad statements or very specific statements can be very damaging, very, very difficult to come back on. So what are your, your thoughts on this, Jack, in terms of 
Um, because I'm imagining there's some people listening now that are in leadership positions that what advice would you give them as, as leaders to consider when they are faced with judgment-making decisions? And, and on top of that, the individuals that themselves are either climbing a corporate ladder, they may be an entrepreneur with a dream, um, where what they're doing they know in their heart and their intent is right but it feels like they're almost up against that proverbial brick wall what sort of learnings do you have that you would share for both the leader and the person that sometimes is where you were at that stage of being you use the word that that vilified or you feel like you're not being listened to well, or and, respected and for your decision i will say i was probably overly harsh by saying vilified <laughs> but it, but mm. uh, i think the point was made mm. was that you've got to be careful mm. well the advice i'd give um, and I think that an experienced leader is already, already thinking through this, um, but it's probably the young leaders that, that really, or the ones that are challenged because they're slightly overtitled. And, and you know, you, we jump into roles sometimes ahead of being ready for it. There's nothing wrong with that um, as a general concept, just got to be aware of where that happens. You, you, uh, I think the advice I'd give is be very careful uh, and thoughtful not careful as much as thoughtful around um, everything that's gone on. You know, you were, you've said several times in that question, the intent, the intent, the intent. There's an outcome and there's an intent. And if we judge solely on outcome, we're at risk of missing, uh, you know, a lot of the lessons that come from um, the intent side of the house. And we actually will start shutting people down if we're not careful. Uh, a, a, uh, um, the measure of the response has got to be commensurate with the, the potential damage that was there, certainly. But there is a time frame in which things can be done. Um, yeah, no, I really love that. I love that, that definition or clarification between intent and outcome. And what I see, particularly in a lot of the work that I do, is people are, you, you touched on it earlier, so, people are so busy and rushing through life that you actually need to have a level of patience and time to think through not just outcome but intent and um, I think that that ability to stop and think is one of the hardest things that we're facing right now in life because I, of the speed of it. I agree. So so what is a, um, I often talk to people about what's that key watershed moment that when you think back through your life um, either change direction or um, change the course of your life in some way? What's a watershed moment in your life? So I've had several watershed moments, um, but I would probably say the watershed moment that comes to mind is the birth of our first son. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason for that is because it shifted my focus significantly. And actually, uh, the decision to leave the military was based off of uh, my son and um, thoughts around uh, how important he was over I had a I had a very good career going in the military and uh, I look back with fondness no regrets none whatsoever but that watershed moment actually uh, and I, and it's watershed for this reason my children and their well-being in a in a general context is really what um, a lot of my decisions today, especially around career and things like that, are based off of. Mm. Um, not day-to-day -day decisions, but, but uh, uh, longer-term, far-reaching 
decisions. Really center on uh, on them. And before um, Chris was born, it wasn't. It it was more of a an individual kind of a choice. It's like I could go do that. I could do this. And and as a matter of fact, have, had he not been around, you and I might not have been sitting here together because I probably would have gone overseas with the military and stayed in the military. I don't know where I'd be today. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't try to dream about that. You know. I, it's it's all good. You live in the moment. Yeah. So from the military, you moved into technology, IT. IT. Yeah. So go what back to the question. Happen? Well, go back to the question you asked about: <laughs> right. Is there a thread? Is there a thread? There is a thread. Yeah. And it, and uh, I actually was um, interviewing with United Airlines, um, and uh, maybe maybe I shouldn't have said the airline, but I was interviewing with an airline, and. Um, uh, don't know if they'd have hired me or not, but as we were going through that process, I was also thinking about, well, what is it I want to go do? Um, and this is as I was exiting the military. I'd already made the decision I'm going to step away and had uh, given my resignation because my son was more important and the orders were coming into play. Um, and I had read a book uh, called On Wings of Eagles by Ken Follett, and it was about a company called EDS that um, – oh, uh, they so it had so many different ties to it. It was a military tie. There's the recent events around what had happened with in Iran back in '79, and uh, uh, Pro had had uh, um, had so much loyalty to his people. It's like we're going to go with them out. So that whole storyline, it's it's it was almost a novel. You read that and you go, wow, well, that's the kind of company I want to go to work for. And I like the thread on the technology side of the house. And. Uh, so I made the decision to do that, and things couldn't have worked out any better when it comes to where we ended up. Um, we ended up in Tennessee, close to my family. Everything was good. It, it really was a great environment for um, our son, and uh, so it was absolutely the best decision around that. But the thread was the electronics, the technology, and, and the outcome. So I was doing the, the love I had in the military was around electronic warfare. Um, the electronics, understanding you know all the signal processing, understanding what was going on, with with that whole uh, um, perspective, if you will, and that which had carried on from what I'd done before I got in the military. Um, I thought I wanted to be uh, a, a, a physician in the medical industry, and realized I that wasn't my strength because actually I can't do the emotional separation from people. You know, if, if you're hurting, I'm going to hurt too, and it's one of those oh. Crap, and it's not a good trait for physicians. There were a couple of events that occurred that that made that decision for me. But uh, yeah, the the decision to shift and pivot wasn't wasn't a hard one. Was it hard to leave the military and move into a corporate role? Um, no, mm. no, and 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 uh, there were differences, but I don't know if it's just. The, the adaptability that I've had. I mean, you, you know a little bit about my background. I was a military brat. So as as my father was in the military, which probably influenced one of the reasons why I went in the military, um, but uh, we moved quite often. And in that movement, we had to be able to adapt very, very quickly. So the shift from one to the other was, um, was one of those not a big deal. But I'll, now I'm thinking about it while you're asking this. If you think about it, though, um, we have a lot of military members that are coming out after 20 to 30 years of, of service, and they have to do that transition. Mm-hmm. Might be a little bit more difficult for them mm-hmm. uh, because of so much time steeped in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think it might just 
it also is just about how adaptable people are. I think that we see people working around us that can't adapt very quickly to changes. Mm. And there's a lot of change happening in this industry. It's oh, yes. interesting listening to the, the thread to me that is running through every choice you've made in your career. And now if you overlay the adaptability piece and you're working in an environment and an industry which is probably seeing the most, some of the most significant change that we have ever experienced. What, what are the biggest challenges that, that you're facing as a chief technologist um, at the moment? Not just delivering what you need to do now, but thinking about where we're heading. The biggest challenge. I'm going to put a strategic hat on for that one because I think this is going to affect us for the next decade. And I hope it's not a genera generational issue. There are a lot of people that point that way. It's not the technology. We have a rate of change that's accelerating. We've actually had that rate of change coming at us for hundreds of years. It's just been very, very slow until we got to certain tipping points. We right now, though, those of, of us that are in the, the industry, are facing the next 10 to 15 years, are, are, we're going to see significant changes going on. The challenge is that the mindsets of people are still stuck in the rate of change we were used to before. And we're making decisions that don't look far enough into the, into the short range future because of the changes that are gonna occur. And I can get really specific about a couple of them if we need to, but at the end of the day, uh, our thought process isn't, isn't changing. We're not changing business. We're not changing mental thought uh, or mindsets quickly enough to adapt toward. Mm. I'd love an example. Can you share an example? So artificial intelligence is one of the things that just I, I love. I've been reading about this, working with it, trying to figure out different things, where, where things could go. It actually has nothing to do with the technology. It's about the outcomes that are there. So if you think about one of the biggest problems that we're going to have with artificial intelligence, it's around ethics. It's not about the technology. And so as we adapt the technology, right now we are sitting at a place where the the uh, adapting to it is um, akin to children playing with with very dangerous things, and and uh, you know we could look back and say, well, there are other opportunities for that. Yes, but the time to bearing fruit is actually going to happen before these children mature to adults. You know, so our mindsets aren't going to be in that mindset yet. By the time that that some of the huge impacts artificial intelligence can make are going to be made. If we're not thinking about the ethical implications of that now, then we're going to um, have challenges later. And the ethics aren't on data privacy. There are data privacy issues. I'm not dismissive of that. Um, the ethics really have to do with the outcomes facing the, the people that um, those uh, artificial intelligence capabilities are going to be serving. And it's not the companies. It's the customers or it's the citizens of that. So. We're already seeing some things pop up uh, in this um, that are highlighting this need. Uh, I was, um, uh, I thought it was just brilliant that Microsoft recently announced that they have a, a uh, artificial intelligence ethicist. And you look back a decade ago, we didn't have lawyers that were doing, it wasn't until about a decade ago that we had lawyers that started focusing on data privacy. I think now we are at a time where we've got to start focusing on, on the ethics of what we're doing. We're see, seeing a lot of corporate ethics pick up. Um, and that's certainly part of this, but this really has to come back down into the business itself, saying, all right, so we're not going to shy away from artificial intelligence. Let's not slow it down. 
but let's have a, a, a separate uh, in tandem um, conversation around the ethics of what we're doing so that we can, we can understand that. Transparency, talking to people, engaging your customers, making sure they know it's coming, uh, uh, when, and, and actually acknowledging that uh, we're going to do potentially two things. We're going to watch the behavior of the artificial intelligence. We're going to always be checking it, but at the same time, be aware that you should challenge things you don't think are right. Mm -hmm. you know, um, imagine uh, a bank customer that's going for a loan and they get denied a loan and they challenge that. Now they're not challenging it because of artificial intelligence, they're just challenging the outcome. They say, well, hang on just a second. Why, why aren't I eligible for that? They may believe there's some bias in, in the behavior against them, whatever that bias could be. They have a right to challenge it. But what we don't understand yet is how some of these, and, and AI unfortunately has been treated more as a black box how some of the, the biases that aren't intended could come into play. And it doesn't mean we have to get things right, perfect. It just We just have to be mindful of that so that when someone comes in a challenge, we are already anticipating this is going to, to be asked. So how do we go uh, adjust that? And what if we find that, um, no, Jeanine was um, biased against. We, we figured out that now nah, if a person had been doing this, then it would have been a different outcome. Um, what, do, what does that mean for, for the way we're going to behave? Uh, we have, in, in many of the conversations I have on a regular basis, people that, that go, well, you got to believe it because the machine said it. It's like, no, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. It's not the case at all. We, we need to understand what the limitations yeah. are. So this, this is fascinating on, on so many levels. And one of the things I just want to explore whilst I've got you is what do you think that that challenge means that we have to do as a generation of leaders to ensure that the people, the new leaders, the future workforce are ready? What sort of skills do we need? Analytical thought, critical thinking, um, and actually thinking outside of the box. And those sound like, like uh, marketing terms, but what that really means when we ground it is... Um, uh, how are we considering the multitude of outcomes that could occur? Not all of them, but just but what are the potentials that could happen? Are we really thinking beyond the moment? Um, and there is a lot of of um, my personal view is that uh, a lot of times when we ask that question, oh, of course we're thinking long term. But if you really dig down deep, the the aspirations long term, but all of the Indications are, no, you're thinking very much in the moment. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking about how this could potentially benefit or um, potentially actually go away from what your intended outcome is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that critical thought, we suppress sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so from a leader's standpoint, all the way down to individuals um, uh, that are in the trenches, challenge things. Which and, requires and bring it bravery. Up. It does right? require bravery. It requires bravery. a significant amount of courage to actually challenge what I'm imagining potentially is a mass conversation to actually go, well, have you thought about this? Like, to be the outlier is going to require people to be a little bit braver. Yeah, and the way you just put that back to me, I'd, I'd say that the advice would be, don't just say, have you thought about this, but you think about it first mm. and then bring some thought to mm. it. And say, okay, so I think we need to think about this and here's why. Mm. It may not be right uh, in the thought that you came up with, mm. But the discussion is the important part of that. Mm. Um, mm. Oh, there, 
was something else that you'd said that I... Well, I want to bring it back to a conversation we were having before we press the record button about the impact that we can have as human beings on each other and our natural place of we listen to the negative versus focusing on the significant amount of, of positive. And you were sharing a story about at some point in your career where you'd almost been labelled and how that, for a period of time, you challenged challenged or you were personally challenged with. Are you happy to share that? Oh, certainly. Actually, I'm going to go back a little bit further in my career because, as, as you pointed out, we do... We remember because we learn, I think, from the negative ones. Um, the 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 successes are the things that we sit there and go, oh, great, glad I did that. What's next? But on the negative things, um, I actually remember being very excited about a, a role that someone had approached me about. This was, um, oh my gosh, that's probably 20 years back. And the gentleman that I worked for at the time looked at me and said, you can't do that role. And I went, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think I understand. And he goes, no, you're not able to do that role. And I, and so we were talking about bravery a second ago. I remember what I wanted to add. The tenacity and the grit are the other half of that. Because you can be brave, but if you're only brave once and, and you get knocked down, then you gotta come, you got to be able to get back up. And I remember looking at him and I went, well, you know what? This was going to be a discussion about that role and what you thought. But now that you've said what you're saying, I'm going to take that role. And <laughs> I'm going to go do it. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and, yeah, it sounds like a rash decision, but I wouldn't have brought the thought to him if I weren't already interested in the role, but he helped make that decision very quickly. It's like, no, uh, don't tell me I can't do something like that. Not the way he did it. Mm. There, there, there are ways to talk to somebody and go, well, let's talk about what skills you have and things like that. That's great. That's what I was looking for, but mm. started with you're not able mm. to do that role. Mm. No. Nah, and right the, other, the other story, the one about bragging, Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, bragging. So um, where that started was shortly after I got out of the military. Um, and, and you've known me well enough that I, I love to tell stories when I get started on it. Um, people would ask me questions about, oh, you served in the military. What would you do? And I'd start telling them stories about flying and things like that and what were going on. And I remember, uh, and, I, and this is also one of those moments that you'll, you, I can, it's a flashbulb moment. You know, I can actually see the individuals at the table when this happened because I was startled. And um, an individual, looked, a team member, looked across the table and said, well, you just, you're a braggart. And I went, I beg your pardon? I said, well, you just, you brag all the time. And I, and I my thoughts when when that person said that were, all I'm doing is trying to share share a story. I wasn't trying to brag at all. And I, and I certainly wasn't trying to offend anyone. But as a result of that, and thinking then, I re, I'm a very analytical person, so then I start replaying other conversations and things, and I thought, wow, I probably do tell too many stories. So for a decade or so, I actually didn't offer much about my history. You know, it, it's in my bio, but when people ask, it's like, oh, well, that's behind me, let's talk about what we're doing today. And, and that's a miss, because it's a missed opportunity to share stories, even if somebody else didn't fly, there's things that, I haven't done things you've done, you know, you're talking about the, the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial spirit that you've got and things you're doing. And I'm going, wow, there's a lot of things I can learn from, from that. Um, it's different than somebody who says, oh, I want to be like that person. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. And so the, it wasn't intended to be bragging. It was a genuine, let me share it. Well, you asked a question, I'll share something with you mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. And, and um, um, I try to make sure that I'm always aware of 
someone else's perspective when they're telling me something mm -hmm. because it's it's an important thing for them to relive and reflect and refocus on their story. Mm -hmm. And so I never want to come across as that kind of a, well, you're, you're just flat out bragging. But yeah, so it's kind of negative events that stick with you, aren't it they? It is, isn't it? It is. What have you learned about yourself over your career, Jack? Uh, what have I learned? Um, I've learned a number of different things. I've learned that I'm not as, as patient as I'd like to be. And my children, if they hear this, will laugh <laughs> at that point in time. Um, I uh, have um, learned that uh, I love to, um, that, that passion and that, that love I have of exploring new things is not gone. Um, I'm probably a little bit more selective than I used to be uh, in the past. Um, I'm going to share something with you. My father had an impact on me early on, and he told me, he said, be very, very reluctant. Actually, put it a different way. I've, I've toned it down. He used to say, don't say no to opportunity. Say yes. Mm -hmm. And I would temper it today um, with, I'd be reluctant to say no to an opportunity. But it, uh, that tempering is just, um, I've had some fly at me that I go, no, that's not something I would want to go do. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so what I've learned over the years is, is uh uh, to, to embrace who I am and just keep going at, going that direction. That's what makes me valuable in the role that I'm in. Mm. And you have a, a team that you currently look after? Today I have no direct reports. Oh, They're is that all nice? Major, is that a change? <laughs> <laughs> we all know people are the hardest it, thing. <laughs> well, but, but, now I say that, but uh, I have people matrix mm. to me. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, uh, um, take away from what I owe them mm -hmm. so I owe them you know coaching mentoring I owe them the ability for them to actually help me too um, and for me to help them on their careers and their trajectories and and I actually look at outside um, I love helping people and coaching people and working with folks um, so while I don't have any direct reports I do have a, a matrix team that's the part of the way our organization works which is good but uh um, sorry, I lost the point of the question. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I was, well, you sort of answered it because I, my question was in relation to what do you feel is your responsibility now in terms of creating this next generation of I, leaders? I work for them. And if I may, I've got to share a story that, that uh, from years back, I was a brand new leader and I had a lot of direct reports. I was a player coach for consulting capability. And one of the gentlemen in the team was probably 20 years my senior. Um, and he uh, came in and he was telling me about all the things that were going on with this particular account and how these things were, were this was just bad and that was just bad and everything else. And I looked at him and I said, well, I'm going to mention his first name, but I said, Jerry, I said, Jerry, let me help you with those things. And he crossed his arms, another flashbulb moment, he crossed his arms, he looked at me and he goes, young man, I've been a leader before. And he said, you don't get a pearl without irritating an oyster. And I said, that's very true, and I'm so glad I think well on my feet, um, which can be a detriment. But I looked at him and I said, that's right. And those irritations that create the pearl for the work that you do, I don't want to remove. But right now you're sitting in polluted water. And if I kill the oyster, <laughs> I'm not going to get the pearl. Well, that's <laughs> He looked at me and he went, yeah, fair point. <laughs> so, um, but that's what... 
I owe the people that work around me is I need to remove the things or help them remove the things. It may not be me doing it, but let's identify the distractions and let's focus on, on what the outcome is and focus on what that pearl is. And sometimes we have too many things that are going on. So, um, uh, and, and that's just the nature of the beast. Um, some individuals don't, multi nobody multitasks well, but some people don't handle that well. So helping people focus on one activity over, over another, um, all the way down to, well, what do you, what do you aspire to become? You know, where do you want to go? And how do I help you get there? And on that, what does success mean to you? When we talk about individuals unleashing their brilliance or following their passion, whatever it is, what, what does it mean to you to live a successful life? Um, we could go into platitudes. I don't measure success by what I do in any single context of my life. I look across success and say, there's, there's, you know, I, I today I'm a fortunate, we're looking out at Sydney, mm. you know, today it's what a fortunate, wonderful life we have. Um, that's not a measure of success though. Uh, for me, it's, it's being able to say, you know, I made an impact and a positive impact. And, and uh, that's for my customers, that's my, fam my family. You know, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a brother. Um, any one of those, I don't always do well. Um, I, I am a coworker, I'm a leader. Um, there's so many different facets. So from a success standpoint, uh, am I enjoying what I'm doing? And I have to measure that as success first because if I'm not, all the others are gonna suffer. And, and that sounds perhaps you know, too individually centric, but if we don't pay attention to what we thrive on, we won't be help others around us, and we won't be that that um, that genuine uh, leader that we should be. And um, if you lost everything pick tomorrow, up and go what again. would you do? Take a moment to reflect on that, dust mm. myself off, and off we go. Mm. Mm. That's it's what's next. Mm. I'm still vertical, taking I'm able to feed myself and mm. and. You know, life's life. You've had a, a, a wonderful career, and I know there's even more to come, which is really exciting for the world and the industry. Um, what keeps you going? Probably my curiosity mm. and my my um, passion to explore. I mean, I look at different things and, and want to understand what it was that, why is that good? Or what if? That's the other, I love to spend time on what ifs. Uh, and looking at the art of the possible. What if we were able to do this? Um, you know, as far-fetched as, as uh, discussions around, well, if teleporters, if we could make those real tomorrow, what would happen? Because you, you disrupt so many different industries. And just look at where things go, because as we explore those things, we actually give insights into not just the way we think, but, but uh, what kinds of things could be um, viable, what kinds of things could be impactful. Uh, I don't think that the people that are thinking of, we use Uber now as a verb, I don't think the people that, that think of these companies were thinking of, um, well, how can I just continue the status quo at all? They're, they're going, wow, you know what, let's go, we see a place where we can go make a difference. Let's go make a difference. Mm -hmm. Jack, I think we are running out of time because you're a very busy man. Before I wrap up, um, Please don't ever stop telling your stories. Um, from the first time I met you, you told stories, and that's why we're here today. And I know the listeners to this podcast will have picked up so much from your stories. And um, I can't think of somebody else that would be 
um, as insightful and inspiring to work for in terms of your attitude and your gift to other people. So please keep doing that. I've taken a couple of awesome things from, from what you've said. Um, you know, your conversation or the conversation we had around making sure we don't jump into judgment based on output um, and taking the time to consider intent. I often say I don't believe anyone comes into work with the intention to do a bad job or to upset the apple cart. I think everyone wants to come in and have a great day. Um, and the more that we can do that and, and think about the intent, I think everyone would be in a happier pace. I love the conversation we also had about the, the challenge of the future and it not necessarily being around the technology or the products that are being created, but actually the challenge that we have as human beings, really, um, around our mindsets and uh, some of these subtle human skills. Um, on this podcast recently, I interviewed Kieran Flanagan. She's writing a book about future skill, uh, forever skills. And it, it's a wonderful link to what she's talking about around our ability, our need as human beings to make sure that we delve deep and develop the unique skills that we have, uh, which for many people have, have been beaten out of them for a willingness to conform. So this piece around bravery, tenacity, grit and the critical thinking um, to make sure that we are creating the future that we all dream of. Um, and as a leader, um, this concept of actually your purpose is to work for others and to bring out the best in others. I'm talking to somebody of my absolute own belief of um, my passion is about helping other people be brilliant. And when they can step up and shine, it's like, oh, my job is done. Um, so I love that. And, um, and thanks to your dad as well for sharing the advice of uh, being reluctant to say no to opportunity. And in that word, reluctant is a lovely sort of undertone of patience. Um, because I think we can, in our in our rush to move forward, to progress, to get what's next, we are racing mm -hmm. ourselves, racing through life, and just that word reluctance instantly says pause and think. Um, and no, I love that that adding adding that descriptive there. So my last question for you before we close off and you run off is, you know, we often talk about what we're doing and what we're achieving X Y Z. Um, I do believe that we are all here to have some sort of impact on the people around us. Um, what would you love people to say about you? Who was that guy? Hmm. And, and the, the meaning behind that is I want to make sure I have an impact, but it's not about me. You know, I, I, one of the most powerful stories I heard was um, a story that was told uh, by a friend of mine about an incident they had where years later, the individual that they had been talking to, now the person I was chatting with, a friend of mine, said for them it was, they didn't even remember, remember it. But years later, someone sought them out and said, you know, remember that time that you did this for me? Oh my gosh, that was such a life-changing activity. We don't know what impact we have on people on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, and so, so be, we be careful, we should be careful in, in how we treat others. But at the other side, I won't know what impact I've left. I just want to be thought of, and it's okay for somebody to go, who was that guy? Well, they don't remember my name, but just that I had an impact somewhere. Mm. And I think, I'm, I think I'm doing that. Yeah, 
You're absolutely doing that. Well, you've made an impact on me today and from the moment I met you. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for inspiring a whole generation of people. And please keep telling your stories. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.